Hi, Anushka here. In this series, I'd really like to take the opportunity to tell you a little bit about The Brilliant Breakfast, an initiative that I set up two years ago to help the Prince's Trust support disadvantaged young women. It really can be as simple as putting the kettle on, inviting a few friends round, or hosting a breakfast for the team at work and asking everyone to give what they can to help change a girl's life. So that's The Brilliant Breakfast, starting October the 10th this year. And for more details, visit thebrilliantbreakfast.co.uk. Thank you. I'm Anushka Dukas, and welcome back to My Life in Seven Charms. For me, there are so few things which can evoke a memory like a tiny, detailed charm. In this new series, I'll be meeting seven extraordinary women and hearing their stories through this very special 18-karat gold biography. The world of Michelin star chefs in the UK has traditionally been dominated by men. My guest today on My Life in Seven Charms was one of the first women to smash that particular ceiling with her brand of simple, beautifully cooked, delicious food. Born of Italian and Irish parentage, she spent her early childhood learning to roll pasta with her beloved nonna. I can't wait to talk to the extraordinary Angela Hartner about your life in seven charts. Thank you. Um, And I'm kind of slightly fascinated by the first one because I've never had to do this before. But um, your first charm is a wooden chopping board. Yes. Um, (laughs) Well, A, I kind of love the idea of making this because the simplicity of it is kind of really appealing. So I thought we'll we'll obviously make uh, the centre part will be wood. Yeah. I see it as all kind of scored like it's been used and really kind of uh, really loved. But um, framed by a yellow gold, 18 karat yellow gold polished frame to hold the wood and I don't know how big your chopping board was, <laughs> but this one is going to be quite small because it's going to be charm-like. Exactly, <laughs> but yeah. but um, why? I mean, it's such a humble object, this chopping mm. board. So why have you chosen um, a chopping board and why is it so precious to you? Um, I suppose a chopping board is something, you know, whatever you do in a kitchen, you use a chopping board. My whole career has been based around food and working in kitchens and you took you mentioned earlier in the introduction about my grandmother my nonna um that's one of the things I got from her when she died my mum and her two sisters and brother put as they knew I cooked all the time with nonna and I was a chef basically said you should have all nonna's kitchen stuff in that sense so I had a big chopping board my uh, grandparents both ran a fish and chip shop so I had my grandfather's fish on your knife mom's side. on my mother's side, yeah. yes, and and all her little things like that. So you know it, that was really love, and I still use it to this day. You know, and I always remember she she didn't have a I don't know she seemed to have a bad back. My grandmother so liked a firm bed, so the chopping board would always be under her mattress to keep her bed <laughs> really firm. How is big like, is this chopping board? I mean, it's sort of I mean it's probably a meter by a meter. I mean, not under the whole of her bed, but basically okay. under her side okay. to her back. And then now I don't put it under my bed it sits in my kitchen next to the cooker so it's great and we use it to make pasta the whole time so uh, tell me a bit more about your mother had a fish and chips grandparents grandparents Grandparents, and where was that that was in beckentry in essex in east london um so there were three brothers um my grandfather and his two brothers 
All of them came over for Italy after the First World War because if you think about it, it's, Italy was decimated yeah. as a country. They all went to South Wales where there's a huge Italian community that emigrated from this part of Italy to South Wales. And it's, the, it's very much the same story of many immigrants that one person came over then called his brother and said, you should come over. He brings his wife, she brings her brother, and suddenly you have a whole community. And then from Wales, they moved up to Essex. So one brother had one in Barking, one in Beckentree, and the other one in Dagenham. So they had these three fish and chip shops. It's just weird that this Italian family, effectively, yeah. should have fish and chip shops so yeah. British. Yeah. <laughs> just um, like it. Well, it's very weird because if you think we had my mother's, my grandmother's sister, um, uh, Auntie Rosina and her husband, Uncle Louis, they had a cafe in Newport Station in Wales. And I don't think, you, you wouldn't see anything Italian there. Do you know, they cooked for what people, they thought the Welsh community wanted. But at home, ate Italian food. And also, I imagine at that time, it's probably very hard to get olive oil, tinned tomatoes and all the rest of it post-First World War. Yeah, because I mean, it's such an Italian thing, isn't it, yeah. though, to, to cook from, from really fresh, yeah. from fresh, you know. Mm. Um, but interested to know, so your grandmother was doing that. Mm. And then did you kind of get the thing about cooking from her? I mean, what, what uh, Probably. I mean, it? my mother did a cordon bleu course. Um, she was a child minder and a nanny, and then she did a cookery course as well. So she always cooked well, my mum. Yeah. You know, we always ate great meals. She cooked everything from fresh. Probably a bit more plain English than necessarily all Italian. Yeah. And then when we moved up to live nearer to my grandmother, you know, I did a lot more Italian food. I made pasta with her. I'd she taught you all that? Yeah, she taught me all that, and I'd and make she... it with her. And it was very traditional. You know, I there was my brother's older than me and my sister's younger, and there were other cousins, but I was the eldest granddaughter out of all of us. Yeah. And so I always had to help. It was a no-brainer. There was, there was no choice in the matter. Yeah. Nonna needed some help. Off you go, Angela. I look back now, I was very, very fortunate. You know, my cousins didn't have that experience with her. My sister and my brother didn't. And, you know, so I was very lucky. And I was quite good. I was very quick. I was very efficient. I was very tidy, you know, so it worked well. We were a good team. A good team. <laughs> and did you, was it very Italian in the way that, you know, Italians sit down for a proper meal, whereas in England we're busy, you know, we're eating on the hop, aren't we? Yeah. You know, it's not that wonderful kind of ceremony and that whole thing. No, no, it? as a family we always ate together and, and proper meals, as you say. You know, we never ate in front of a TV. There was no, yeah. none of that. Lunch was where you sat and you talked and you, you caught up with each other and what you did during the week. So, yeah, it was important. Well, well hopefully that might happen again. Mm. But, I mean, I mean, I spent a bit of time in Italy and I'm always struck by the fact that everything gets used in Italy. Yeah. You, you know, you, the stale bread gets yeah. reused and put into something and there seems to be a real respect for food that I don't think we have. The well, they certainly way. don't waste anything. And I also think if you look at the generation of my grandma who came out of the First World War, it's lived through the second, they knew how scarce food could be. They knew how to make a meal stretch. And I'll always, I'll always remember going into her fridge. You know, she never threw anything, but she didn't have cling film either. So it was just little bowls with a saucer on <laughs> top. And you'd lift the saucer and there'd always be something delicious in it. You know, I'd go, oh, there's a bit of ragu in there or there's some stuffed onions or something. And I always laugh as years later, I lived with my mum's sister, her second, her third daughter, Viviana. 
and um and Viv would have the same habit, but it yeah. was never anything. It was always like prune soaking or chickpeas. <laughs> okay, Viv, this really is not as exciting not as non as fridge, you know. Can we get rid of the health and have a bit more, you know, a bit more of our home comforts, oh, you know? What if I go in your fridge? Have you still got little sauces oh, God. covering well, things? Uh, we try and be very eco now and we have what is it that um oh, bees bees stuff paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now our fridge, our fridge is probably the worst stock fridge. <laughs> I recently did a thing for the was it the Observer or the Garden, and they had five chefs. And I looked at my fridge compared to the others. And I thought I cannot believe their fridges look like that because there's no way they were, they were stocked to the rafters. Whereas ours is all jars of bits of thing. Because you know, anyway, we it's fill at the weekend, but the, through the week it's always empty because we're not there. I don't want to waste stuff, so I'd rather buy for what I need and then that's it. You know. Yeah. I read somewhere that in the UK we waste 10 million tonnes of food mm. a year. I'm mm. just like, and I'm really interested in that in, in kind of restaurants and mm. how that works because obviously the waste, even as people leaving things, but how do you kind of overcome that? How do you well, kind of deal with it? Well, one, you try and avoid any waste. I mean, nothing should go in a bin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there should be really no waste. Any vegetable trimmings will make a veg nage. You know, if you take a leek and you've got the lovely white bit because you want to put that in the sauce, then you put the green stalk in your stocks and in your sauces. Yeah. I mean, there really shouldn't be. And because what you're effectively doing is throwing money in the bin. Well, I was going to say, margin, you know, it's all yeah. about... <laughs> yeah. And that's how you know. If you suddenly see food costs and your margins drop, you know, my one thing is, right, how are we buying stuff in? What's on the menu? What are we wasting? Are we utilising everything from that? You know, yeah. and it's, you know, and you can pick up straight away. It's big, I mean, God, there's got to be a campaign. Maybe chefs should start a campaign to stop waste in, in houses. I mean, I'm terrible mm. because I'm such a crap cook. No, but, but they, it's just I mean, a... they did a great thing. They did a great British waste menu. We did that. And I mean, maybe now with everything going up, inflation, suddenly the cost of living, I think people might be. You'd like to think people would be a bit more. But I think it's a, it's a circle. I don't think it's just, you know, I think it starts with supermarkets and shelf life. Yeah. These ridiculous shelf lives they put on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it starts in schools teaching people how to cook. And they don't need to love cooking like me, but they need to know the basics and they need to know how you value money and food. Moving on to second charm, um, which is completely different. So this is a naval hat. Mm. So I kind of immediately assume, because I like a bit of bling, um, <laughs> that it should be white diamond pave, tiny okay. little stones. And I think it should be blue sapphires, three-dimensional blue sapphires set in yellow gold. Um, so the actual peak will be yellow gold polished. Oh, wow. And it could... I think this is to represent your dad. Mm. Um, so we could put his initials on it, which I yes. think would be rather oh, be lovely. Great, yeah. um, but tell me about this particular charm. Um, um, uh, my father died when I was seven, so we were very young. He was a naval officer. He was in the Merchant Navy. He was the one, I never quite know the job title, but when helicopters and planes landed, he held up those round, looked like tennis, right. table <laughs> tennis things yeah. and you know, directed right. them in. 
So for a lot of our childhood, he wasn't around because he'd be away at sea for like three months and then come back home. Mm. Um, and then unfortunately, he got a um, liver cirrhosis and a sort of form of yellow jaundice when we were quite young. So my brother was under 10, I was under 10, and my sister wasn't even one. Mm. So oh. I think that was quite a big thing for my mum to have three kids all under 10. And yeah, it was a big deal, actually. You know, I, th- I think we've re- we've been very resilient as a result. I think probably my sister... I wouldn't say suffered more, but probably feels the trauma more because Having she never missed met out. Him, yeah. yeah. Whereas Michael and I did meet. You know, I remember my father still. You know, I don't. And I, when I talk to Michael, he does as well. But I also think it's a shame because I think we would have. You know, he would have been a great dad. Yeah. I think there's lots of indications that he would have been phenomenal to have grown up with. You know, like he did this album that my mum gave to my brother when he married, where. It was his whole life in an album, like when he was growing up and, you know, out with girlfriends, out with friends, pictures on the boats and everything. And then he put, you know, names and stuff next to it. And then at the last page, there's a picture of his wedding and he put the end. And then on the final page, there's a picture of my brother who was born and then he put the living end. You know, and I sort of think, I think he'd have been, I mean, my mum always says that he was, you know, confident without being cocky or arrogant and... Anyway, so it's a shame he wasn't part of our lives, but, you know, I think he'd have been proud how mum's brought us all up. And, you know, and I think, you know, I think that even though their marriage was short-lived, I think they did have a great marriage. So do you think um, you're obviously surrounded by a lot of women other than your poor Mm. brother? Do you think that that's affected how you've kind of grown up and how your your views about about I think it may be my I think maternal is the wrong word. It maybe made me very family focused. Yeah. Um, in that respect but I don't think it's necessarily made me more of a feminist or anything like that yeah. um, certainly considerate of people you know my mum was very focused about how you treat people letting people down doing the right thing so it's certainly and I think that's my mother's just giving you proper morals and values and I think they're both the influence of the fact that uh, my father died early and then both grandfathers I didn't know either of my grandfathers so you had three strong maternal women and two grandparents, and, and, and also my dad's sister was widowed early as well. So, you, you know, if you like, there was God, four, yeah. you know. So, you you know, you felt lots of women around you, and they were very capable. And I, mean, I always remember my father's younger sister say to me, oh, this nonsense, women women run everything. Of course we run the house. What's this, you know, you know and yeah. it's just like she was very pragmatic about it. She goes, you know, all this, not, you know. but maybe that is yeah. what, what you know because mm. in your career it must have been unbelievably useful to have yeah, been, yeah. you know a, to feel a, yeah to feel able to lead and to mm. and to yeah. be very much in charge of your own your own destiny okay so charm three you said i want it to be a kind of really childlike house so i've drawn it like that it's flat but it's a locket so it yeah. opens yeah and you can see it's a there's a little um garnet heart um, inside and there we are but um, tell me about home and um, and why Um, I suppose home in the sense that um, that to me is probably family I suppose that's what it illustrates I mean my mum to this day always describes her home as our home she's you coming home yeah you know which I think is always a lovely thing and uh, and I think there's a great feeling amongst certainly uh, immediate family that, you know, I've stayed with my aunt, I've lived with my aunt before now, my cousins have lived with my uncle, you know, it feels like you're very much all entwined and 
certainly the house we live in now in East London, I own it with my brother. Uh, my sisters live there. I now live there. But, you know, I could see my cousins, from my nephews from New York coming over to live there for a bit. You know, it feels like we're all very entwined. It's all fair. This is very Italian stuff. Very Italian, is. I mean, yes. it really is. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> very, very Italian. Yeah. And I like people coming over. And, you know, I think if you invite people to your home, people should be relaxed. You know, if it, I don't mind if something spills or this, that and the other. It's like, come on, you know, they're just objects or articles. Yes, it can be annoying, but I think you've just got to chill out and treat it as you know it's where you live completely agree oh, I, yeah. like, I was brought up as like you know yeah. the more the merrier and you know yeah. now when the children said come home and come and I bring seven of my closest friends yeah yeah yeah, great, yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah I, I'm quite relaxed about all things like yeah, that yeah. I mean sometimes the next day I'm like Jesus why do I agree to that but but I think home for me is very you know I, I and I love being there by myself I mean that's quite selfish I know but I, you know, if if Neil's going out or Salvatore is, I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, or they're working. To me, being at home by myself is a joy. I completely yeah. agree. So that, I'm really interested in that. Who's Salvatore, by the way? Uh, Salvatore's, uh, I suppose, lodger, for want of a better yeah. word. But, I mean, he's been here nearly... 15, 17, I mean, he's what, lived with the us. Lodger. Yeah, yeah, the lodger. <laughs> I can't get rid of him. I think he's moving with us if we ever move. He's stuck with him. So it's surrogate, lodger, yeah, yeah, child, exactly. etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but with this family feeling, I know, mm. I know you haven't had kids and presumably work has just taken over your whole, your whole um, life. Yeah, no, to be fair, we did try and have kids, but unfortunately um, probably left it a little bit too late and then I had a few issues, so... It was never going to happen. Yeah. Um, so we sort of accepted that quite easily. You know, we could have adopted, but we both decided no. So, yeah, I don't... I'm quite happy with my choices. You've got Salvatore there. Yeah, so you've got Salvatore and dogs, yeah. Um, do you, out of interest, I mean, how do you think other women chefs mm. manage? Because if you're a chef, it's absolutely full-on, isn't mm. it? Full-on. So it's kind of... I always think, my God, how can they kind of... Because I find it hard. Mm. Yeah. There's certainly, um, if you're a bloke and you've got kids, probably the woman takes the brunt of it. But I think a lot of guys, actually, more so now, whether they ever admit it, actually do spend a lot more time family than probably 30 years ago. And that, yeah. and I think that's just changed now. I think people have put family, you know, work's important, but also seeing your kids grow up is important. Absolutely. But how? But in, in the chefing world, yeah. I mean, how? Because... Ours are so bloody antisocial. Well, they, they have historically been. But again, I think if you care about yourself, I mean, my guys do three and a half days a week. Oh, really? So if you think of a working week, a restaurant's open, say it's closed one day and most of them are open then um, six days. And that gives you um, 12 shifts a week. So that's lunch service, dinner service. Yeah. And, you know, there's some restaurants that will make their staff work 10 shifts. So that is five doubles a day. And that is like eight to eight, nine in the morning till close. So you're there till 11, 12 well, at night. That's a disaster. You know, and I've, I've worked those hours back in the I'm day. Sure, I've yeah, worked yeah. them back in the day. I used to run restaurants that made my staff do it. But we've changed all that now because people don't want to do it, physically can't do it. You don't get the best out of them and you don't retain your team. So we've gradually moved from that that working practice to now going from even eight shifts down to six. So that means they'll do one double a week. You know, they're looking at 45 hours a week. 
So which that's is normal. Yeah, that's it's a normal that's, working yeah. week. But that's quite enlightened. It sounds like I think you're unusual. There are aren't you? there are a lot more places out there than we think. I think you right. know I really do. I th- I just think people presume because they all they've done is seen the programs, they've seen this, that, and the other. It just everyone thinks, oh god, that's what catering is. But actually, you know, we've moved past that. And if you really want your staff to turn up every day, you've got to do right by it. Yeah, yeah. As I said to you earlier, God, I um, when I when I had my fish business all those years ago, um, I obviously dealt with with so many mm. very very scary chefs. Mm. I say, um, and I remember mm. lots of shouting, yeah, lots of swearing. Yeah. But that was what twenty years ago. Yeah, that was yeah, twenty so years ago. Quite, yeah, exactly. Um, but was that was that your experience twenty years ago? Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, because that was before you. Uh, that I mean, you know, yeah, without doubt, stuff. there was lots of swearing, um, not f- physical, but there's lots of people who have said that, yeah. um, and there were certainly lots of hours. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I've worked in some of those kitchens, but I've never quite understood why you would do that to your staff. You can be firm and disciplined without being a, a total ass about it, yeah. because once that happens once or twice or three times, you're immune. It's a bit like you know. Isn't it when your mum and dad scream at you, you sort of think, oh, yeah, they're just screaming at you. You just come on, finish it. And then it's that's it. You know, but when someone's really like really feels like I actually really disappointed me, you know, that kills you more than anything else. So the screaming is just water off a duck's back, really. You become immune, I think. No tears. Yeah, no tears. No, no tears. No, no, ne- never ne- tears. Never Even te- when you're at Aubergine, I no w- tears. I never, no, I never, oh, God, no. Never. <laughs> no. I've, I've well, that would that. Been... I wouldn't. Even if I went and burst out crying in the fridge, I'd never t- cry in front of Gordon, no. <laughs> was... How would he have dealt with it if you cried? I don't know, actually. Were you the only woman in that? At the time I worked there, yeah, I was the only girl. When I worked there, there was no other girls, yeah. That didn't bother me. I always say it worked to my advantage being the only girl. Personally. But you were, am I right? Thinking you were really young. When you I was about, that. I think I was about 23, 23, 24. Yeah. So that's quite young. Yeah. That is yeah. pretty young. Mm, yeah. yeah. But you're quite determined and you want to prove yourself that you can do it. And, you know, and so you did. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I could do a year and that's what I did. Well, it was it was an extraordinary year, and then you went on. Did you go on to P- Patrice from there? Um, then I you... went on to uh, went to Italy for a bit. Then I worked for Giorgio Locatelli mm-hmm. um, because they, we were all part of that same group. And then after Italy, I came back to work with Marcus at Loringer, and then Patrice. Yeah. So then I worked for Marcus for quite a long time. Um, but you got the the Michelin star happened incredibly fast. Uh, yeah, well, with Petrus, it happened really fast yeah. with Marcus. You know, he was a he is a great chef and he was very focused and driven. But then Murano is extraordinarily quick. So Murano is your restaurant. Yeah, so we again opened in August and we got the star in January. You know, we got it within three months. Um, you know. So just because that is absolutely incredible. I mean, I don't know if that's a record. <laughs> yeah. Do you know if that's a record? I think it's very quick. But partly I spoke to the inspectors without doubt. You know, I had a good chat with them. And they, you know, and they said, they said, look, we wouldn't normally do that to a restaurant. But we've known you. I was five years at the Connaught, consistent delivering, yeah. you know, one star food. So they said, we know what you're cooking. We know where you are. So why not? You know, I don't think, you know, it's a bit like Claire getting two, three stars now. You know, she's got it phenomenally quick. Claire Smith, do you mean? Yeah, Claire, who runs Core Restaurant in Notting Hill. But, you know, they've been following her career for 10 years when she's been head chef at a three star 
for Gordon. So, you know, it, it you know, if you know the chef and you know what they're cooking, it's yeah. not such so surprising. Yeah. But it is great. Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely great. Yeah. And and I just um I'm just really interested at what is there a point where as a chef you're like this I really want to get my own star. Is that I a think kind of I reason love to get having up in one the star. I yeah. do. Um, I'd love to get two stars for the restaurant. Yeah, and for the team. Do I wake up every day thinking that? No. You know, I think you know. I think what you do is you push your restaurant, your menu, as you want to push it. I don't yeah. think you you do it for any accolades. I think get your and I always believe that get your product right and what you're serving, and then if you're doing a good enough job, those things will follow. I think that's the best way to approach it. Now, i got to ask about this picture that John Reardon did uh, in the National Portrait Gallery. OK, um, yeah. i got to ask about it because for those people that haven't seen it, it's worth looking up because it's a kind of mock-up. It seems to me it's a mock-up of Da Vinci's oh, Last Supper, yeah, isn't it, sure. really? Yeah, got but you. what really struck me is um, you're the only woman in this okay, whole yes, picture. Yes, that's true. You've forgotten. Yeah, it well, was a while I'm ago, wasn't Gary it? Rhodes is in that, isn't yeah, he? he? Gary is, Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gordon Marcus. Gordon's right in the middle. Giorgio's <laughs> there. Who else is there? Eric Chaveau. Yeah. Trying to think who else now. I think uh, Marcus must be there. Marcus is there. I think yeah. Tom Aikens there, is there. Maybe? Is Phil Howard I think there? He's there. Okay, so yeah, I was the only. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, that was many, many moons ago. Crikey, yeah. Visually, it's such an incredible picture. And mm. you're. Um, did it strike you the only woman there? It's yeah. I did never really. I mean, I suppose. I mean, I'm not really doing much for my feminist credentials when oh, I on, say no. <laughs> but in the sense that no, I never used to think. Oh God, I'm the only woman. It only struck me more so as we, as I took over the Connaught, and then suddenly the Gordon Ramsay group developed. So then we had the Connaught Savoy, um, the Barclay, Claridge's. You know, all these hotels, plus Royal Hospital Road, plus, you know, and suddenly yeah. it was really... And everyone was a head chef, pretty much, bar we're all men. Yeah. And it only sort of came across when things like, you know, Gordon would be offered stuff, you know, do this article, do this gig, all the rest of it. And, you know, maybe he was too busy, whatever. They'd go, oh, can we get Angela? And it was interesting then that suddenly some of the blokes, well, why is it always Angela? <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, and actually the reason it was always Angela because it was just more interesting to have a woman than another bloke. Yeah, and that's exactly. why I always say it didn't harm me at all being a, being one of the few women in cooking. And also, you know, when I look back now, Marcus was always quite protective of me. You know, Gordon was, you know, you're right, you need anything, you know. Oh, he and was so, protective. Is yeah, he a bit yeah, of a yeah. pussycat, really? I think underneath he's certainly very caring. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I was never phased by it. Because another one, I used to ring him for my fish business. <laughs> I, I literally, because you know, I, I was so young, I was like yeah. 23. Yeah, and yeah, these yeah. chefs. Well, that just, must have been the aubergine then. It was. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I was, you know, don't send me that shit. <laughs> what the, I was like, oh my God, it's yeah, terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, now, how many kind of, you, Claire, she's one. Yeah. Are there lots of others? Because I can't think of yeah, lots of yeah. others. Listen, Claire, Sally Clark, Ruth Rogers, you've got Lisa Allen, Nevis, okay. um, Pip Lacey. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot, lot of women. There's yeah, a lot yeah, more. Yeah, there are a lot, a lot more. more. Yeah, 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 without doubt. Anna, Anna, who I'm doing, I'm Irish girl. You've got Ravi Gill, you know, yeah, you know, okay. and there's so lots. So I'm just yeah. ill-informed. You're ill-informed. I'm yeah. just <laughs> ill-informed, basically. Um, and... Um, what I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, 
where if you're going out, mm. not to one of your restaurants, mm. where what do you tend to where do you tend to go? Um, I'll go places like Braun. I tend to stay east because that's where I live. Yeah. So places like Braun, I'll go to Noble Rot, um, St John, um, Luca. You know, good restaurants, but I would say casual. Yeah. Not casual in the sense of Coat or Pizza Express, but just, you know, not fancy. Some may have Michelin star, some may not, but I just want to go and have good food and great wine and good service. And do you want to go and discover new or do you just go uh, to old favourites? I, I, I tend to go to old favourites for a night out. Yeah. Um, I do like going to see new restaurants, without doubt. You know, yeah. I really want to go to Manteca. That's the place that everyone's talking about. Yeah, um, so I want to go and eat there, um, a few others. So, yeah, but I don't tend to go within the first month that everyone else has got. And I tend yeah. to wait, let it bed in and let's see. Unless it's a, like a mate of mine, like Russell Norman, who's opened um, Bruto. I, you know, we went there pretty early on just to give him support and, you know, show the love. Yeah. But there's other people I'll just wait a while and go, you know, after a few months. And uh, when you when you book... Mm. Who do you say you are? I say who I am. Oh, I don't, no, I don't they, that, who I am. that just make, must make their evening a massive nightmare. <laughs> no, 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 I'm very, I'm very, um, I'm very chilled. I don't, you know. Yeah. No, you're very chilled, but yeah. that won't make them very chilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, yeah. Um, and is there anything that you, you know, when you're knackered and exhausted? I'm sure you're asked this a lot, but what's what's your kind of craving? Is there? I mean, because most uh, chefs I've spoken to all eat kind of junk food. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably what everyone does. You know, cheese on toast, tuna sandwich. You know, it's nothing. I mean, my all-too go-to easy fix is like a chicken schnitzel. Mm. You know, bread chick, breasted chicken in panko breadcrumbs, fried in olive oil with salad. I mean, that to me is if there's nothing else to eat, that's what I'd eat all the time. Okay, that's a really good tip. Yeah. I am. Uh, I'm just such a terrible cook. Last night I was like, "What? What am I?" Going? Anyway, I just went to Saint's and forth. <laughs> but uh, that's a very that's an easy yeah. e- easy thing to do. Okay, your your next charm is. Um, I love this. This is a dessert spoon. Mm. Um, you just said silver coloured. Um, so I'm I'm assuming it's in. It's just a very simple white gold dessert mm. spoon. I've put your initials on it because oh, I you. just think. Why wouldn't you put your initials yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Anyway, tell me about this spoon. So I think a spoon, again, I mean, I've realised looking at the beautiful picture you've drawn of all the charms, there's so much food related. I should really be doing more in my life. Um, <laughs> but I, um, spoon is, yeah, I, you know, a cooking, you know, it's always what you have on you. I always either have it tucked in my apron or in my back pocket. So it's it, for tasting the whole time. And I always, you know, like, for instance, I've just been out to the hotel we run out in the French Alps and I brought my spoons and then I couldn't find one. I'm like, right, where's the spoon? And I spend then half an hour looking for this spoon. Everyone goes, see it. I said, no, I don't want that spoon. I want my spoon, you know, so I'm quite particular, yeah. I've just been to um, the Portetta. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it was, it was fab. How often do you get there? Um, I was there last weekend and I'm out in a couple of weeks. So every every sort of three, four weeks I'll go out there for the season. Are you a skier? No. I can ski and have skiing, but I don't ski when I'm out there because I'm out there to sort of do my job. And I just, I my luck, I'll end up, you know, breaking my foot or something and going back in an ambulance. Yeah. So I'd rather just do what I do when I'm there. Because <laughs> um, that's actually, that's one of those, a bit off topic of the spoon. But um, I was going to ask you because, I mean, chefing is one thing, but you run a really successful little empire in mm. terms of a business. So how do you go from... 
from being a chef to business-wise? Um, I mean, it's unusual to be able to do both. How have you...? Um, well, I think, like any business, and I think you surround yourself with people who who um, know their side of the business and you make sure, you know, everyone does that. You know, I have a great accountant, finance guy. Um, I've got a great business partner, my um, CEO, and we work very much in unison. You know, I can't do it all, but I know where my strengths are. My strengths are with people, my strengths are with vision, how I want the company to move forward. And then someone like Chris will go, okay, so how do we do that? You know, if I say to Chris, I want everyone earning this much an hour, I want everyone six shifts a week. You know, he'll come back and say, all right, this is what it's going to afford. This is how we'll do it. it you know, you work together and you, you you know, because no one can do everything. I also say, actually, the trick is to find people that are better than you. Oh, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Might be tricky on the cooking. But on the no, other but side. in a way, I mean, Fergus Henderson, you know, St. Johnny said you get to a stage where you're employing people who cook better than you. And that's not a bad thing, you know. Um, is that is that? Do you find that threatening, though, in any way? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, Em, who's my head chef at Murano, she's, you know, she'll come out with things I would never think of. But I think that humility goes a long way and a bit of humbleness to say, oh, God, how would you do that? You know, rather than being so arrogant and say, well, I don't want it like that because, you know, I think the point is cooking more than any business is constantly evolving Part one of the reasons I um, love doing Great British Menu is because I see all these young cooks do stuff. And, you know, I'll go up and go, oh, how do you do that? And they look at you as if to say, you should know. And I said, I don't, you know. But actually they get quite a kick that someone's actually asking oh, them. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, fantastic to be yeah. asked by you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, so exciting. But, um, because actually now, how many establishments are you overseeing? So um, I've got three Cafe Murano's, which are like little Italian restaurants. Then we have Murano. And then I work with Robin Hudson, who runs Homegrown Hotels, which are the pig hotels in Limewood. And I oversee and work with Luke Holder at Limewood, who's the head chef there. And then I look after Portetta in the French Alps, which is part of the Limewood group as well. Well, that's quite a major feat, actually. It really is. And I'd really like to know about how you managed all of this and how they managed through COVID. Tell me about because you've been done amazing. Things. Okay, so all obviously we everything closed because we had to. Um, we you know we put everyone on furlough and we were able to sustain the businesses through lockdown. We did takeaway with the cafes, you know, which put money in the business. And then before that, I did um, a friend of mine, a great mate of mine called Lulu Dillon. Um, I saw on social media cooking for the NHS, and you know, and I was at home, and it was great to be at home, but there was also nothing to do. Uh, there was probably lots to do, but I didn't do any of it. Um, <laughs> so I said, I'll help you. So her dad, if you think about it, London was empty. There's no traffic. Yeah. So they lived out in Beaconsfield, West London. And Mike would travel in two days a week. And he'd come over to me on a, a, a Tuesday and I'd put all the food I'd prepared on the doorstep. You were doing it from I'd, the I was doing it at home. No, no, from home. Oh, from home. And then he'd pick it up and then Lulu would cook stuff and she'd put these little packages together and then she'd go and deliver it. And then we started talking about it and all the rest of it. And she said, look, there's, there's a real thing that I've gone into some of these hospitals and talked to some of my mates that there's just nothing there. That You know, the people aren't getting food and if they're self-isolating, they're not going to shops. So she goes, I said, all right, let me speak to Greg, who was a business friend of mine who runs a hospitality industry. 
He's got massive kitchens that were just empty and a brigade of people. And so we got in touch with him and then it just, you know, escalated from there. So we used their kitchens. We were suddenly diff- delivering to, I think, 10 hospitals in London. Wow. To their ICU units. But to the point when it was at peak, we were probably doing about 1,000 meals a day. Wow. And, and, and when I say we, there's a whole brigade of people. So Hawksmoor Group got involved. Um Robin Gill got involved, Oaxaca got involved. You know, we funded it. It was a charity. We had loads of donations and, and you know, and it was wonderful, you know. So loads of people volunteered, you know. And then by the time the second lockdown came, there was no need for it, you know, because hospitals knew what, you know, they were coping much better. I think they were all Thank a bit God. sad about that. But, you know, it, it, it did galvanise, you know, like a friend of mine at the time, he was running Fortnum and Mason you and, and yeah, you and so come Easter time, he threw in three hundred Easter eggs that we took to everyone, and then we had other bakers go. Here's another five hundred hot cross buns. So you know, so there's all these lovely little care packages that just went to the hospitals, yeah. which was great. Okay, your your next charm is, um, I love this, is a chopping knife. Mm. Um, So I don't know whether it was a specific chopping knife, but I kind of, you can see, I visualised it as black rhodium with black diamonds in it, Mm. so I like the handle to be like Mm. that. And um, and as you can see, I've put uh, Neil on. I've engraved Mm. Neil on there um, because I know that he gave you this knife. Mm. Um, But... um, Talk me through. Talk me through the knife and so um, knife. And tell me a bit about Neil, actually. Well, so Neil, um, husband, um, we've known each other. Oh God, since the beginning of the Connaught, so since two thousand and two. So was he working at the Connaught? Yeah, I think he came to start two thousand and three, maybe or yeah, he came. He was in Scotland at Amaryllis, and then he basically Neil, who was my head chef at the time, Neil Ferguson. Um, had worked up in Anna Marillis, got to know Neil Borswick, my husband, and said, you know, uh, come down. And so he started working with us. And um, he is much younger than me, but he was a great chef, really enthusiastic, very funny. He's always made me laugh. We have fun together. So um, we always remain very good friends. He went off to work in France. Left off. the corner. Left the corner, yeah, yeah, for about five years. Not fired. Just joking. Not fired, no. Not <laughs> just, fired. And then yeah. um, just over time, I suppose, became much closer and then ended up going out, and then they, you know, rest is history. I the suppose to put history. it very quickly. And so you, so have you ever actually worked to, since you've been married? Worked together in the same kitchen? Uh, yeah, not since we've been married. We did work together at Merchant's Tavern, which was a restaurant we set up with him. Yeah. Um, and then we've sold our shares in that, and then he's now works at the French house. So no, since we've been married, and probably I think if we ever did do that again. It would be I wouldn't work in the kitchen. I'd let him do the kitchen, and yeah. I would do front of house. Yeah, just because I think it it, it just becomes annoying. It's just easier <laughs> to not work what, together bloody in the messy. kitchen. He's messy, <laughs> and yeah, and he and he does things that annoy the hell out of me, and probably vice versa. So it's probably easier. Yeah. <laughs> but when did he give you this knife? Um, I think right, uh, probably quite a few years ago now, probably as a present. And I realised what we, what I never realised until we gave it to a friend of ours on wedding, at their wedding, that when you give someone a knife, they're supposed to give you 
a coin a back coin, or yeah. something, yeah. yeah, because otherwise it's bad, bad luck. luck yeah. I realise I've been giving knives to all my chefs over the years and none of them have, so I've been putting this curse on all of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and I like, and where Neil's brilliant is he'll always sharpen all my knives for me. You know, I'm not the best. I can do it on the steel, but the stone, I'm not the best. So he does all that for me, which is great. And, and, Quite shortly after you married, am I right in thinking he had a terrible accident? No, the, that was before his. we got married. Right. So this was probably about nine, ten years ago now. So what happened? Um, he basically came off his push bike um, and I, I, it was that whole, you know, knock on the door at one in the morning. Oh, do you know Neil Borthwick? And then I said, right, he's in hospital. Will you come with us? And, of course, they don't tell you anything till you get to the hospital and then you have to wait for the doctors and blah, blah, blah. And he was, you know, basically had a, a, a to be put in an induced coma for about seven days oh because he had God. the pressure, you know, on his head. Yeah. And then they had to open his head up to release the pressure. So, yeah, it was quite traumatic. He's come through it amazingly well. You know, no, nothing else in his body. He didn't break anything else, no bones, nothing. It was just he literally must have smacked his head. And the annoying thing about it, Neil's a massive cyclist, loves his cycling. And always, you know, because I rang Phil, he was working for Phil Howard, the chef at the time. And I rang Phil the next day and I said, Neil's had this accident, it's not coming into work. And he said, well, what happened? Did someone go into him? I said, no, we don't know, but no, as far as we're aware, no. And he go, and Neil always wore his helmet and that night, for some stupid reason, oh. didn't have a helmet on. And, um, you know, came off his bike and, you know, because Phil always said, God, I'm always, you know, Neil walking in and his lycra sweating with his helmet. <laughs> and that he goes, that's my eternal image of Neil, you know, and he, he goes, and then to have this. So um, it was just, yeah, well, it just proves, isn't it, you know, don't ever go out the door without wearing your helmet. Yeah. But he's back and working. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, much yeah, better, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So you've obviously got a dog because your next charm, charm yeah. seven, mm. uh, is a dog paw. Yeah. Um, so tell me... Um, I think this dog was. I, I'm not sure. So don't, tell me about this. This so I think dog. I'm, I'm looking at you've put. I put um, Betty. Her, Betty, but yeah. I sort of think we maybe need to do the initials of all the dogs we've had on there rather than just Betty. Okay. Um, but anyway, so originally this Jack Russell Terrier uh, rescue dog called Alfie, and then this Pocket Beagle Otis, who's this beautiful. Well. He's not so pocket now, he's like this. <laughs> right. But he was this gorgeous, and he is still a gorgeous dog, Otis. So we had Alfie and Otis. And then Alfie went up to dog heaven, as they say. And then we've got little Betty, who's a Jack Russell. And so now she she thinks she is the bee's knees and rules. I mean, she she jumps, she's like a rocket, you know, the energy of her. and um, Which has been really good for Otis, even though I think at times he wants to just pin her against the wall and tell her to shut her. Yeah. It's been good for him because when she goes and wants to go out, he'll then follow, whereas before he might be a bit lazy because he's getting older. But actually, she's given him, energised him. But yeah. Were you brought up with dogs? No, my grandmother had a dog. She had a, a, a Scottish terrier and we'd look after Max every now and again. But no, we weren't. But it was my sister that said she wanted a dog. And since then, and all my family have, uh, you know, been, uh, we're all, oh, for God's sake, you know, my mother, oh, ridiculous, my daughter's going gaga over these dogs. But now my <laughs> mum cannot get enough, you know. Oh, the dog's, how's Otis? She's been fed, you know, she absolutely will go, I love that dog. I love that dog. Oh. If anything happened to that dog. So um, everyone's turned into massive dog lovers. And it, it's great because, you know, we do a, 
weekly walk on the heath and, you know, it gets you exercising good, well, and so oh, I like it. Okay, well, your last charm. Mm. So you said map of Italy and Sicily with Bardi. So mm. I'm like, okay, yeah. how are we going to do that? So I have a whole kind of spinning series because I think jewellery is so much about yeah. it's how tactile it is and yeah. how playful it is. And I spin this all the time. Mm. So it's a map of Italy on a yellow gold mm. um, flattened sphere, I mm. guess. And the map is has got diamonds all over Italy, mm. and then we've highlighted Bardi mm. um, with a little with a little red ruby, mm. um, and it's and, and it spins beautifully. So obviously, uh, Italy is absolutely mm. part of your part mm. of your heritage. But do you feel uh, Italy as home? Or I feel of... very relaxed when I go there. I yeah. always feel very. Um... Uh, disloyal to my dad not disloyal but you know the Irish side we don't I don't embrace as much which is uh, a although I am going to embrace it when I try and get my European passport so that's probably slightly hypocritical of me but anyway (laughs) Um, that's going to be I I mean it's just by default at the end of the day my father died when we were young Um, so you've of course you naturally veer towards your mother's family you know just by default it's not that we didn't see my dad's family we still see my dad's family we've still got lots of cousins we you know we're all in touch with them but it's just by default you do and um, so Italy felt very natural you know my mother would take us to Italy in the summer or we'd go out to Italy for the summer um, you know, we visited. You and know. where did you go? So we we'll go. We used to go to Bardi, or we still do. Uh, we'd also go to Lignana, where my mother's sister lived, and you know, visit her. You know, there were times when my mother would stick us on the plane. We'd be met at the other airport, and she got. You know, she had three kids. She got rid of my brother and I for three weeks. Well, that was a rest for her. So, yeah. you know, in that respect, so that's why I sort of put Italy. And I suppose my whole career has been built on it. Obviously. Going back to your non uh, and learning to cook with her, that was very much Italian. But I mean, I guess you could have cooked Irish food. Yeah, it, and I know? think and I think the basics is interesting. My mother's much more plain cooking. She does her Italian food brilliantly, but she loves a proper stew. Yeah, you know, she. My grandmother was made savoury, but she could never really make a cake properly. My mother was always the one that did all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but the. Just, I'm just fascinated that you've ended up. I mean, Italian food is is mm. absolutely your mm. your thing. But do you think that came from all those holidays or? Yeah, just... I think so. I definitely think so. And I think, you know, you know, isn't it cook what you know or something, or basically do what you know. So you know, I knew it better. You know, and also, yeah, it's you know, I think Irish food. It's 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 like British food. There's not necessarily a style about it, but it's about the ingredients we have. And I think in Ireland and Britain, we have incredible produce, you know. But um, I don't think we necessarily have a, a, a classical style like Italy of antipasti, primi, secondi, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And what's your absolute favourite Italian food? Um, I suppose my absolute favourite Italian dish is a dish called annolini, which is basically pasta that's been stuffed with um, the juices from cooking down braised beef and veal. Mixed with breadcrumbs, so it's with parmesan, and you serve it in a broth. And that's what your nonna taught yeah, you to we, make? Yeah, that's what she taught me, and we have that at Christmas every year. Okay. And um, and you were very specific, we had to have Sicily on this. On yeah, this I map. love Sicily. I sort of, uh, you know, I'm not from, our uh, family aren't from southern Italy at all, but I go back to Sicily. I think it's a great place, and I think out of, I love the fact Italy feels a slightly, I mean, they might dislike that, behind the times, where it's not. I think it's where we should be, you know, things don't open on a Sunday. 
you know, shops close once a week a in the afternoon. They still have a siesta. Yeah, they still have a siesta. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something really beautiful about Sicily that it's just in its own time and its world. And I think, and I, I think it's a stunning part of the world. Sicily. And um, would you ever want to buy a house there? Or? I would love to. I'd love, I'd love to get to a stage where I could afford to buy a house there and not have to work. Yeah, that would be great. You say you don't want to work, but what, you do oh, take no, big I really don't walks. want to work. Oh, my God, I would retire tomorrow. I know, everyone says that to me. Yeah, I'd happily sit at home watching Netflix all day long. Yeah, but I love work. No, but, but actually, hang on, you just said that. But actually, in during COVID, you got up and you were No, I know, but busy. that was slightly different because you also, I was still running four businesses, so you felt you had to do stuff and continue. I think if you retire and suddenly I'm not having to run anything, oh, God, I'd retire, yeah. Oh God, I have no problem. What about problem. Neil? Would he retire? He's a lot younger than me. He'd have to keep working. Even better. <laughs> he can go out to work, and I can sit at home pottering around. God, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Oh that. my God! But yes. Anyway, so there's a plan. There yeah, is, there is, so yeah, there's a kind day. of grand yeah. plan. Okay. So Angela, when somebody finds this, your life in Seven Charms, this mm. bracelet that I've drawn, um, maybe a hundred years from now, fifty mm. years from now. Mm. What would you like them to kind of remember you for? What what would be your your legacy if somebody was explaining that this is for Angela? Oh gosh, God, that's a um, that's a very difficult question. Um, I suppose I'd achieved what I wanted to in my career, done the right thing. I've done the right thing. I've been good with my family, treated them correctly, not treated as terrible. You know, just been very family orientated. I suppose. And just, yeah, true to myself, I think. I think that's probably the way to do it. I think so, because jewellery... She lived the life she wanted to live, maybe. Something like that. There you go. Perfect. But jewellery is so much about the narrative that goes with it. So it's really always really interesting to me to know what it says about Mm. about the person. And then my final question is, as you know, um, as a thank you for coming to chat to me today, Mm. I'd like to make you one of these charms. Wow, thank you. So I'd like to know which charm you'd like me to make. Oh, crikey. (laughs) Um, I think I'd like uh, my dad's hat, actually. I think that would be a great one to have. I will make you this rather lovely uh, blingy hat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Um, Really lovely to see you. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to My Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. If you would like to see all of the charms and illustrations that I've made for my guests, please go to my website, anushka.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate and review and subscribe and also share with your friends. It would be such a help. Thank you so much to my producer, Robin at Fairly Media. See you soon.